You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So, I got a direct message from a member of our community last week who is an avid cyclist, and she just got herself a beautiful new bike that she was riding the heck out of and really enjoying until she wasn't. She developed a lot of vaginal pain that she and her doctors can't quite sort out. So she's going to see a specialist, but she suspects that the root cause was a saddle or bike seat that wasn't quite right, combined with some untreated atrophy related to uh, the genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And so I sent her straight to this week's guest, Dr. Rochelle Bernstein, because as a women's sexual health and menopause specialist who lives and mountain bikes in Colorado, this is exactly the kind of situation she sees all the time. And here's the thing. We can all get busy and let our vaginal and vulval health slide, but it's in our best interest to stay on top of it, because as most of us know the hormonal shifts of menopause can most definitely cause vaginal and vulvar changes that can lead to pain, discomfort, and even tissue damage that paves the way for infections. But it's also one of the byproducts of menopause that we can treat really, really well. We do not have to live in pain, and we don't have to stop riding and doing the activities we love. So I am very stoked to bring you this conversation with Rochelle, who started her practice called Purely Menopause to empower women with the knowledge, tools, and confidence necessary to lead healthy, happy lives and to have comfortable, healthy vulvas and vagin- vaginas. So I, I really, really enjoy this conversation, and I hope you do as much as I did. All right. Before we get to it, as always, you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. Come join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. Head on over to FeistyMenopause.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter, all the things. And thanks as always for the really lovely reviews and five-star ratings that continue to come in. All the love in the world right back at you. And with that, let's just have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.
Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Rochelle, I am glad uh, after many tries we have made this happen. And this is a conversation I think is probably really long overdue, quite honestly, in this active audience, because we have we have so many different women in um, in our group who do triathlon and who run and who cycle and do long gravel things and the the vagina and the vulva change, you know, and, and maybe have some issues during this time of life. So I would love to, to just dig into our anatomy there. Like, honestly, like what changes happen? When do they start? What do women experience? How can they impact our lives? Like, let's just start talking. Yeah. Sounds good. So um, I became interested in this um, because as I started the my current practice where I'm really focusing on menopause and perimenopause and all the changes that happen in sexual health. They're of course all related. Um, I had a lot of women who, you know, this is a time where, you know, if we're, there's lots of us who are active coming in, but then there are also lots of us who are becoming more active. And then, so, you know, you're finally at a time in your life where you're buying that expensive bike that you always wanted because you're going to use it more and you can afford it and your kids are in college or whatever the piece is. And a lot of um, women were coming in complaining of pain, discomfort, um, pustules that form, chafing, you know, all of those kind of things. And so as I heard those things happen, um, you know, there's there's the piece of so many things that I heard in my practice because I've been, you know, practicing for 20 years. And so there's some of those things I'd like to talk about too. And you um, had asked about before, but also just the changes that happen to women in the vaginal area that result in discomfort with biking. And really a lot of those, the number one thing is related to the lack of estrogen and, genital urinary syndrome of menopause. So um, I thought if that's okay with you, we'll just talk about what that means so that women have an understanding of how all this goes down. Um, So essentially, I think the basic piece is that that we know that our body changes as estrogen falls and it affects our 
entire body, our hair, our skin, our nails, our sleep, our, you know, all that stuff. But what happens in the vaginal area is that there's thinning of the vagina. And so as a result, you have um, inflammation that occurs. And so your body brings in these white blood cells and you you sometimes actually see an increase in discharge, but the discharge is very thin and inflammatory and um, causes burning and itching and actually makes the symptoms worse. So it exacerbates the already thin tissue that's susceptible to tearing and and that kind of thing. And, and, and so you have even more symptoms that are related to that. And then if you take being on the bike seat and all of the friction that happens and sweating and um, then that just makes it worse and makes it makes you susceptible to the dermatitis or to the acne that occurs in that area. And then of course, you know, that the hardest thing is the last thing you want to do is get off of your bike. So, you know, how do you manage that desire to be out there and be active and doing all the things that you should be and want to be doing to take care of yourself, but the discomfort side by side. So um, I think that, you know, that's the number one issue um, is the genital urinary syndrome of menopause. Yeah. And I hear women talk about it, even with running, you know, that it can be bad enough that they feel those. The chafing. Yeah. Yeah. Even that. Um, I guess before I ask this next question, I'm curious, you know, we talk about the vagina, but I, are we also, does that include the vulva? vulva It does. It includes the clitoris. It includes the, um, the, the vulva, it's the introitus, the opening of the vagina, and it actually can go down into the anorectal area. And so it really is that entire area that can be affected and that you want to address, right? So, so when you're thinking about that, um, you, you know, the one thing that we know really can help is to be on um, estrogen replacement therapy of some kind in that vaginal area. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there are a lot of, of options out there for us as far as creams and suppositories and that actually have estrogen. And, and I want to be clear that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about hormone replacement therapy and, you know, in the menopause space, there's lots of safe, safe opportunities to use hormone replacement therapy, And although hormone replacement therapy can help with vaginal symptoms, it's not oftentimes not enough. You need to be paying attention to the skin down there, just like we have to be paying attention to all the other places in our body. You know, it's not, and there's no magic pill. And um, so using some sort of cream or moisturizer in that area, and then of course, addressing dressing your seat and your bike fit. And we'll talk about all that stuff. But um, in order to, to help the tissue be more healthy, because that's the goal of the estrogen and the and a moisturizer is to help the tissue be healthy. So when you're on the bike more, you're less inclined to have irritation when you're on the bike. That makes perfect sense. And so this, this might be too much information, but what the hell? Like, Um, so I, I use the ring, which is for just local vaginal estrogen, right? Which, Mm -hmm. which works very well. Um, but I find that 
towards that vestibule, you know, towards the outside, towards my vulva, it's not quite enough. So like sometimes I also use like a reverie or some other hyaluronic acid product, which does seem to help closer to the entranceway of the vagina where, and I, and I, I had asked this question via email, but it's one that I've wondered, do, um, do women with more prominent labia have different issues than those with less prominent labia? Because we know there's sort of a difference there. I mean, more tissue, more surface area. I, I, it's just, it's more curiosity, but you yeah. Know, don't know. Well, but um, so let's first talk a little bit about the first question, which is how do you address the entire area? Yeah. So one thing, the S-string I think is fabulous. You know, it's a ring that goes up in the vagina and it's, it's interesting, um, how it all works, but you essentially have a low dose estrogen that's in the vaginal area that over time, because, you know, when it starts, you have this thinning and it does take time for the healing to happen. And one of the things that happens is that inflammatory discharge that I was referring to decreases because there's a healthy vagina. And so sometimes it's enough to have the E-string. The problem with the E-string is, and I would love to talk about this too at the end, is the cost. You know, it's ridiculous mm -hmm. what- I know, you go to CVS and they go, do you know the cost? <laughs> Are you aware yeah. of this? <laughs> right. like, that always means bad things. Yeah. Exactly. But all of the creams and suppositories are messy, which in a way, you know, so the E-string helps because it decreases that inflammatory discharge, but then addressing the skin on the outside, you can actually apply estrogen cream on the outside. If you're using a cream or a suppository on the inside, then it's kind of messy and it kind of, it comes out and, and goes a little bit everywhere. And, and there are estrogen receptors in your urethra. They're in the opening of the bladder. I mean, there's just estrogen over the clitoris it, and, and using estrogen cream can actually increase sensitivity of the clitoris and improve those tiny little blood vessels and nerves that are in the clitoris. So there's lots of benefits to being on estrogen cream. Um, but you do sometimes using something only in the vagina. There's also a tablet that you can place in the vagina. It's called, um, Uvafem is the generic now. Um, but you can place a tablet up, up inside the vagina, but again, it oftentimes just treats the vagina and it may not be enough to really increase that inflammatory discharge enough to be enough to stop that that fissure that happens right at the opening of the um, introitus. And so um, you need to actually put cream on there as well. And you can double that up based on what's comfortable for you as far as what's messy and what's not messy. Hmm. And there are also, so when you said reverie, the new literature is um, talks about hyaluronic acid moisturizers. And I love saying hyaluronic acid. I'm not I sure. I know it's they a fun word. <laughs> Like you'd think it'd be horrible, but it's not. And there are gels, there are creams, there are lots of things out there on the market. And there's some discussion and evidence to show that it actually may be as um, efficacious as estrogen cream. And so, and that's something you can easily just keep on the side of the toilet. I find it really effective. I find mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I just use that at night. So it's not like I'm worried about it you know, coming out like I, cause it's like a little suppository, you know, and I just maybe once a week, you know, I'll put right. one, I'll, I'll put one in and it, it just, yeah, it just keeps that part comfortable. 
Mm -hmm. And it may even just be, I mean, some women might be fine with the E-string and then, and then just placing that moisturizer on the outside. Yeah. Right. Or just estrogen cream on the outside. And that's part of your daily routine. And then, and then it works fine. And, and partly you really do need to figure out what's going to work for you, but there are lots of different options. And so I would say that that's the thing that your doctor can spend time with you and actually, you know, say, well, these are some of those things. And, um, that way you can figure it all out. You know, is it estering? Is it, um, estrogen cream? There are vaginal suppositories that actually have other hormones in them. DHEA, then then what do you put on the outside? Do you use a hyaluronic acid moisturizer? Do you use estrogen cream, et cetera? I'm curious about the DHEA. Like, mm -hmm. is that um, my understanding, and, and this comes up quite a bit in the group, that the vaginal estrogen, and I've had numerous women on the show talking about this, urologist, gynecologist, et cetera, who are like, it is not a problem. It, you know, even if you're contraindicated mm -hmm. for systemic estrogen, vaginal estrogen is safe for you. Right. I mean right. that, right. That's, that's well Across established. The board, yep. Yeah. Um, why would you opt for a DHEA product? So some of the new literature is showing that there are um, receptors for androgens in the vestibule of the vagina. And so using a combination of an androgen and estrogen, and we don't know yet, right? And the literature is slow as far as, as coming from, you know, what's the literature and then creating a product, especially if there's an androgen in it. Um, so, there, the um, there is also a very very minute conversion of DHEA into estrogen, and so you know whether or not there's also some benefit from that. But I do think that what's going to happen, you know, just at the Menopause Society conference, there was discussion about compounding some testosterone creams that are used vaginally, and it's not something that people do. Um, across the board, you know, I think, and it's in general, something that personally I do with people who are refractory. So we've tried things and they're not working. And so I might do that for the time being. And I think that's going to change over time as we have more literature out there. That being said, there is a vaginal suppository that is DHEA. It's called Intrarosa. Mm. And I'll tell you my, my personal experience. And this again, might be TMI, right? Like we <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're already, we already kicked that try. door down. So exactly. <laughs> is that, you know, for me, the best thing is what is easy to use, convenient and works. Always. And always. And so, um, but the Intrarosa suppository is meant to be used daily mm. and it's DHEA. It's a vaginal suppository. It is incredibly messy. And it also, the base is very greasy. And I just, you know, I, I'm just not willing to go through a pair of underwear every time, you know, I use one of those. It's, you know, that's just way, it's not worth it. So um, that doesn't mean, you know, the recommendation is to use it daily. Could you get some relief if you used it on occasion? I've never tried the Reverie suppositories, but I've heard good things about them. There is another product that I recommend often. It's made by Bezwecken. And it is a product made by a um, naturopath and um, they have a whole line of um, they're just little uh, like capsules that have um, 
I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, but I think it's a, uh, I don't remember what the base is, but it's not messy and you can mm. get it with estriol in it. You can get it with DHEA in it. And, you know, those are, it's not messy at all. And um, you don't really see people talk about that as much as the reverie because um, the reverie has a hyaluronic acid in it, but, but there are definitely other options that you could use without getting that messiness with the intra rosa. Right. And I, and I want to just hop back when you were talking about androgens and testosterone, were you talking about vaginal testosterone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the DHEA intra rosa is a vaginal suppository, right? But the recommendation is to apply a testosterone gel. What they talked about at the Menopause Society mm -hmm. is a testosterone gel that you can place externally. And but it has to be compounded because it hasn't, you know, what the dose is and and combining it with estrogen and then how you combine it is are you, you know, because you have to compound something like that. And so it's not really used in the mainstream yet. We don't really have testosterone products for women. Yeah. That oh yeah. The United States that are used without compounding. I would be nervous about putting testosterone around my clitoris. Am, am I wrong for feeling that way? I mean, um, you hear about clitoromegalia, you know, I mean, I don't oh, know. Oh, right, right. No. So I, I hear what you're saying, but we're yeah. talking a very low dose and okay. we're talking a couple times a week. So as far as that systemic absorption, not it's not going to be an issue. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I <laughs> just, yeah. Don't want to cause I'm, other issues. <laughs> yeah. So, but you see the clitoromegaly with high levels of, of sustained testosterone. Yeah. And um, so, and that's it, the same discussion about the safety of vaginal estrogen. If you're just using it a couple times a week, two to three times a week, either externally or internally, then you're not increasing your serum levels enough that you take on the, the other risks of being on, um, on, uh, menopause yes thank yeah. you hormone therapy yeah yeah so there it is it is quite safe but again it's just not used mainstream yet and it's not an issue with the dhea okay cool yeah going back to the redundant labia question the redundant what do you mean by redundant labia? The redundant labia so that is a thing is that a lot of women you know everybody's different right that's the beauty of the female body and everyone, the shape and size of their labia is different. And so um, some women do have one labia that's more prominent than the other, or sometimes both of them are more prominent and they can get caught in your clothing. They can get caught, you know, on the bike seat and somewhere or another it gets pulled and then it tears or whatever. The I've never heard are. someone tell me that I've had that, but I'm sure that <laughs> I've always said that. I have full lips. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the ones. Yeah, on my it's face. a good thing. They but work <laughs> and they work. But yeah, I mean, but I, it is, but I, that those can also get thinner and more problematic too in this time, right? They do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do have, and I honestly see this at all ages. I see a lot of women who come in to me as a gynecologist and asking for what's called a labiaplasty, just taking mm. a little piece of the labia off in order to manage that symptom. I am a huge proponent of the fact that the female body is beautiful as it is, and it doesn't need to be um changed right. to be more beautiful, but that doesn't mean that there aren't symptoms that are related 
to having stuff and things in different places. I'm picking so, up what you're laying down. You're saying because yeah. there's that cosmetic sort of some people are like predatorily saying you don't want those floppy lips down there. We should trim those. Like, like exactly as opposed to like if that's causing you problems, you can you can you know, deal with something. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I yeah. I appreciate that distinction. Um, and you know while we're talking about that, I could see. And this is a little tangential, but I think still really important. And I don't know if it becomes more common, but with with people who spend an awful lot of time in saddles, they will get swollen labia. Sometimes one side will get quite swollen. Um, is that more problematic at all during the menopause transition? And even if it's not, we should probably just talk about it. Yeah. So, yes, I would say it is because the tissue is just not as healthy and so it's more susceptible to all of the problems that you're going to have. You know, the, the swelling may be just more susceptible to the swelling because it just takes on that trauma from the pressure. You know, the, the skin is not as pliable. It's not as resilient. And, you know, that's what the estrogen, the topical estrogen and hyaluronic acid does is to, to make it more healthy. And so it can tolerate more, um, more pressure, et cetera, and more friction. So um, if any, any problem that you're going to have will be worse in menopause. And, you know, again, perimenopause, you know, is it that it can definitely start then. You know, one of the things I see happen too is a lot of women in perimenopause and early menopause have facial acne. You know, it's, it's that same concept, right? You have this dryness and your skin doesn't tolerate the dryness and then what moisturizer do you choose and then you overshoot and then you know this imbalance of hormones and all that kind of stuff and it's the same thing for the vagina you know you've just paying attention to the hygiene in that area how do i make those tissues healthy right so that they can endure a little you know the trauma of a bike ride and it is traumatic i mean you are put sitting on your butt for hours right yeah yeah i mean and and maybe we should because I want to talk about that. Maybe we should we should wrap up this part before I want to talk about some other things that can come up that I'm, the, you know, vulvodynia, things that I don't even really actually know what they are, but I've seen people address them. But while we're, while we're talking about cycling specifically and those issues, you know, keeping the tissues healthy, 100%, right? Like all this stuff that we have talked about to this point seems very important to try to avoid those problems that we can have, you know, from time in the saddle whatever um bike fit also very important and that changes so if you haven't had a bike fit for a while i think revisiting it you know especially if you are having problems to keep pressure off that area but also um you know sometimes you have people who get really into let's say peloton you know or, or something that is kind of new to them and i think that that when you're on a stationary bike like that, it feels to me that you're putting even more pressure in that area. At least I know that's my personal experience. Um, what do you recommend as far as like clothing and the shorts and the creams, you know, to like have your best experience in the saddle? Yeah. So I, um, first of all, I think it's really important to recognize, I mean, let's start with the chamois, right? Wearing a chamois is important. That's a padded short for anyone who doesn't know. Like some people don't know what the meaning, like that, that yep, means padded bike shorts. Right. The padded yep. inside is called the chamois. 
And I'm a huge proponent of not skimping on your chamois. Now, it doesn't mean that you, like, because there are lots of cheap chamois out there, and then there are very expensive chamois. And the unfortunate truth is, is the right chamois is the chamois for you. And if you are the, the one that works for you. And, you know, if you look at all the different companies that produce chamois, they're all so different. So Club Ride has different levels of chamois, you know, the one, two, and three, and they gauge it, they recommend um, which level based on the hours in the saddle. Mm. And um, I don't even know that that's true. Sometimes too much um, cushion actually is too much for people in the chamois. So we're not talking about the saddle right now. So something intermediate is the best way to go. And um, so, um, you know, I really like Shredley. I've heard you recommend some other um, types of chamois on your podcast before, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there are a lot of options as far as chamois go and really getting out there and trying it out is the best way to do, but spending money on a high quality chamois is important. And get a women's specific one. Not everyone knows that, you know, like where the padding sits and how the padding is formed is is specific between male and female uh, for bike shorts. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely worth it too. And, you know, there's, there's often a inclination to, to think like, I'm going to go with a more padded seat or a wider seat. And that's not necessarily the answer. Like what you really want is a bike saddle that fits you, you know, so your the pressure is distributed as it should be. And that is, that is according to your anatomy, your sit bones, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, the ischial tuberosities. And you can do a seat fit, a saddle fitting now. And there are ways to do that, um, to do it yourself, you know, to measure it yourself. Um, but you just want to get that distance. And then it's if you are on a road bike versus a mountain bike, it's going to be a little bit different too. And so that's money well spent as far as, you know, if you don't understand enough to do it yourself, then you can go to a bike shop and they can do it for you and they want to sell you a saddle anyway. So um, the problem is then which saddle do you choose, right? Because how hard is it to buy 10 saddles, right? And then ride each saddle because you got to put it on, you do a bike fit and then you put your saddle on and how do you keep the bike fit consistent? Um and so it it really does take time. And I think the hard thing too is, you know, you go to a bike shop and you do a fitting with them. They only have the saddles they carry. So they're, you know, they can only carry so many. There's so many out there. And so um, it seems like it'd be a nice entrepreneurial thing to have somebody just carry all the saddles and you can rent a saddle, right? To see which one works best for you. Cause you kind of do have to put miles on it in order to figure out what's going to be right for you. Um, I do have a favorite saddle, um, and that I, and I don't, I don't road bike. And so it'd be interesting to hear maybe some, some of the differences, but I mountain bike and I don't gravel bike. Um, and on the Peloton, the problem is, is that you're oftentimes, you know, if you have your own Peloton, then you can get yourself a good seat and you should get yourself a good seat. Yeah. Um, but um, if you're going to the gym and that's what you do every day, then you're using the Peloton seat. And so, again, you want to be focusing on the chamois and then how you're fitting the Peloton to you. So you're not having 
too much pressure in one place and less pressure in another. Um, but the seat that I um, wanted to bring up and see what your thoughts were is the Cella Italia Diva Gel is amazing. And I have had a lot of people um, try it and that's worked really well for them. People, people, um, there's a love or not love with that saddle. I am not a love of that saddle, uh, but I know people who love, love that saddle. I tend to run the specialized power mimic across all my bikes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it works for me. And, you know, it's just like, especially, I know we have a lot of gravel riders in the house. And when you're doing gravel stuff, you are plopped on that saddle. It's not like mountain biking where you're like, more dynamically up and down road riding. You still tend to be more seated more of the time, but a lot of time in gravel rides, you are on the saddle, you know, in a, in a big way, <laughs> you know, so it, right. it is important to, you know, spend that time and find something you shouldn't be uncomfortable. I mean, that is like the bottom line, you know, you should be able to sure. If you're brand new, you might have some tenderness around your sit bones until you sort of get used to it, but you should be able to, to ride three hours without pain. Yeah. And you should have, if there's not a true cutout, then there should at least be a depression so that the pressure is on your ischial tuberosities. And that's one of the other problems with padding, right? Is that it just spreads the pressure out over that space. And that's not good. Yeah. Let me, before we leave saddles, I want to put a really fine point on that. Um, what we're saying here is that often with like a wide, really padded saddle, you're, you, the pressure is just right everywhere. It's on your perineum. It's on your soft tissues. It's everywhere that you don't want it. A good saddle, a lot of times, will have like a cut out where your perineum is, where your soft tissues are. However, if you have generous lips, some of us don't do so well with the actual cutouts because it creates problems that weren't otherwise there. Like it's, you know, the the, yeah. the tissues kind of channel into the cutout. Well, while what I like about the specialized power mimic is it has like a hammock, you know, so it's like a little bit of a, a cutout, but it's still supported. So it's not just a hole, you know, it's not just like this cavity in the saddle. So yeah, interesting. The more you know, <laughs> exactly. I, I think that I think that covers it. I, I'm you know, I, I, I don't I think like when people are on pelotons, they're Sometimes they run into some trouble, but, you know, often they are in and out of the saddle enough. They're standing up, they're sitting down. It's a little more dynamic that they don't run into quite the same issues unless you're seeing something that I that I don't see. No, I think you're you're probably right with that and the mountain bike. But I do have to say, you know, on the mountain bike, a lot of women have trouble, the trouble that we've been describing. And so it really is important to take the time to get yourself a good seat, get yourself a good chamois and do a bike fit. You know, yeah. I have had some people say, oh, well, you don't really need a bike fit on a mountain bike because you're up and down so much, but it's not, it's more basic than a road or gravel bike fit, but it's still a bike fit. You know, if your legs are too long um, with your rotation, then and your hips are rocking, then you're just going to put more friction in the vaginal area and create more discomfort. And yeah, no, a hundred percent agree. It's, it's, it's worth it. And it is, it is a, it isn't quite as evolved as like a tri bike fit or a road fight, you know, right. all those, all right. those kind of fits. Good sleep. 
The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Let's talk about some of the other things. One thing that comes up in the group a lot, and I will confess I know next to zero about Mm -hmm. this, is, and I don't even know if I'm going to say it right, but I'm going to try, lichen sclerosis. Yes, lichen sclerosis. What is it? And uh, what should we do about it? (laughs) Yeah. So um, lichen sclerosis is really, it's thought to be an autoimmune disorder. So you make antibodies to your own tissues Um, that's not well proven pathologically, but it is more common in people who have, um, autoimmune disorders. So, um, we don't know why it happens to some people and why it happens to others. Um, it does happen more commonly in women who are, uh, prepubescent because of the lack of estrogen and then in perimenopause and postmenopause. Again, 
what happens is that the tissues are not as healthy and we tend to see um, lichen sclerosis type changes. Which are what? On exam, it looks like, so essentially it's a chronic progressive inflammation of the area. And so you have this cycle of injury and healing that results in what essentially it's almost like scarring. The tissue is very friable. It tears easily Mm -hmm. because it's um, gone through these cycles of, of healing and, you know, repair and, um, and inflammation and back and forth and back and forth, which is constant. And then it actually can very much, much affect the entire area. It can happen over the clitoris and cause fusion of the clitoral hood over the clitoris, which buries the clitoris and is a cause of sexual dysfunction and not just yeah. discomfort pulling on the clitoris, especially, you know, when you're biking, it can, um, as those labia thin and get smaller with just you know, genital urinary syndrome of menopause, that can be worse because now you have a, another inflammation on top of those thin, unhealthy tissues. It goes down into the introitus, very common in that opening of the vagina where it tears again, and then down to the anus and then around the anal sphincter. So the whole area can be affected. And the way to treat that is to use a steroid. And you use the steroid, first of all, you need an exam. And if you want to take a mirror and look yourself, I mean, that's great to know what things look like. So you know what they, you know, how they might be changing over time, but they, the tissue looks white. And that's just, again, because of that inflammation. And you oftentimes can see fissures, especially along the labia. And then again, you know, the, the clitoral hood fusing Mm -hmm. over the opening of the vagina, just look for the white thickened skin And so really you need to use a steroid every day and it can take a high potency steroid for usually six to eight weeks before it clears up. And then you need to be on maintenance therapy where you use it two times a week till the end of your life, really, because it just doesn't typically resolve on its own. And that's you know, for the most part. So then what happens when in peri and postmenopause when you're now fighting that thinning of the vaginal tissues because you don't have estrogen. Plus you have this inflammation and then you're using a cream all the time, but maybe you are, you know, maybe it's a every other day, you know, I use a steroid twice a week. I use the estrogen two or three times a week on that tissue outside, but you really do want to be paying attention to the health of those tissues. Um, over time, or it really is progressive and will get worse. And that's the same thing for genital urinary syndrome of menopause. The the actual, um, the sensation in the area, the caliber of the vagina, the size of the vagina decreases over time if we're not just thinking about things and addressing them. And, um, and it's not that we're broken, right? It's that we're changing. And um, so as far as lichen sclerosis is concerned, you can look yourself, getting a regular exam, but it is an important thing to recognize that it's not going to get better on its own, despite all the things you do to address your fit on the bike or the chamois. You really do need to have a medical intervention. Thank you for that. And then what is also, and this is another one, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, vulvodynia? So vulvodynia. So vulvodynia is really essentially um, pain with an unknown etiology 
that lasts for over three months. And it can be provoked, meaning that if you are on a saddle and it doesn't fit, and you're on it every day and there's pressure and discomfort every day, then your body just sort of takes on that pain. And then it doesn't go away and you don't have an infection. You don't have vaginal atrophy. You don't have, and you may have some of these in addition, but you know, the, the, it's really um, an idiopathic problem. It's not something that I could treat. If you had a yeast infection, I treat it, it goes away. So, I mean, honestly, it's not something that um, if you have vulvodynia, it would be either something that you have and you're dealing with while trying to get on a saddle comfortably, which is something to think about because you want to be paying attention or you could really make it worse. But I really, could you theoretically cause vulvodynia with that chronic pressure if you're not paying attention? Yes, you could. I don't really see it very often, but you can, you know, you're going to have pain if you're not addressing your saddle, you know, it, it will eventually happen. So then a, the, the treatment for that is a hard one. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, do you, oftentimes I'll have my patients see a pelvic floor physical therapist, you know, cause all of this stuff is related and can cause chronic pelvic pain and pain with intercourse and that kind of thing. There are some medications that, um, um, like, you know, gabapentin and that kind of thing that can help. Um, sometimes it's really like a local anesthetic, but there's, it's definitely very difficult to treat because it's a neurologic issue that we don't know why it happens. So it's a cause of chronic pain. Hmm. I mean, honestly, in, in 20 years of practice and just being very active on the bike, I would never say never, but it's not something, you know, I, I don't want people to be afraid yeah. that that's the next step because it really is uncommon. That's good to hear. I just wanted that. It came into my ether um, through Jen Gunter column, actually. And exactly. she, she just said it's like She's another, amazing. yeah, another, yeah. Uh, another thing, thing to look happen. at. Yeah. Yeah. And think about, and it's in the differential, right? So if you come to me and you're like, oh, I cannot ride my bike. What is going on? I'm going to look for infection. I'm going to look for atrophy. I'm going to look for lichen sclerosis. I'm going to evaluate for vulvodynia. I'm going to, you mm. know, so it, absolutely it is in that differential of, of things that you need to take into consideration. Gotcha. So I, I have gotten, and this is, <laughs> this is a personal question, but I, I can't be the only one over the course of like all of my cycling time. I've sometimes gotten what I can only describe as like hard little he kind of inside mm -hmm. in the labia, you know, that, that I've been told they're fine. It's benign and they're not really right. uncomfortable, but it's, you know, I, what is the cause of those? So those are called sebaceous cysts. That's and it. They, that was the word. Yep, exactly. And they are full of something called sebum, which is this like thick, milky schmutz. I mean, it's just <laughs> stuff. And... Um, so they tend to come and go. They tend to come in places of, of chronic irritation. Sometimes they are, I mean, they're hard. Yeah. So they can be irritating and they need to be removed in order to relieve symptoms. Oftentimes they'll just go away on their own. They're benign. Um, but 
Yeah. And so it's just really a matter of paying attention to, again, you know, how are you sitting on your seat and how are you doing your hygiene? Those, those were the Not times of like don't. 10 hours in the saddle. Though. Exactly. Like so and how you are do. you going to? <laughs> exactly. And so then you end up with all this, you know, irritation that you're dealing with, but, but they're absolutely benign and they're very, very common. Let's talk um, while you're talking hygiene, let's talk hygiene, uh, especially during this time. We hear, Rochelle, I mean, I should be steaming my vagina. I should be using, you've never right. heard that? The steaming of a- No, I have. There's- oh, there's. Um, I don't, abdom- for, for the record. But- <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so um, really, a healthy vagina is a very healthy place. We want to have lots of bacteria that are in balance with each other. Again, with the vaginal thinning or lichen sclerosis or whatever, that throws off that balance. And and that's what creates the inflammation. Mm. So um, I a clean vagina is not necessarily a healthy vagina. So when I'm talking about hygiene, I, you know, what I'm referring to is, you know, washing your um not not wearing your chamois around after you're done with your ride, you know, take them off, put on a pair of underwear, let things dry out, washing them before you wear them again. Um, Especially if you do use a chamois butter, um, you know, in order to help with the chafing, then you want to be sure to get that off. And the other thing too, um, is that, and I'm seeing this with the hyaluronic acid options, is that there are a lot of additives that can be irritating. So, you know, again, Jen Gunter mentioned witch hazel and um, menthol and nothing should be scented. (laughs) Exactly. Like what on earth? No sense. You want it to be hypoallergenic and clean. Do you think you need the pH balance, women-specific ones? I mean, there are women-specific chamois butters, like chamois butter makes one. Yeah. And that's the one I use. I love the, oh, huh? No, I don't know that you do really. I mean, there's going to be no literature that proves one way or the other. Your pH will be balanced if you are not dealing. So that's one of the things that gets out of sorts when you have the vaginal thinning, again, that vaginal thinning in menopause. So the genital urinary syndrome of menopause. And so as if you're paying attention to keeping the tissues healthy, so there's, there's the basic tissue and is it healthy or not healthy, right? And is there a disease process that needs to be managed? And then there are the comfort issues that you want to take into consideration so that you're not injuring the healthy tissue. You know, the unhealthy tissue is just more susceptible to irritation and damage. So how do you make the tissue healthy? And then what things do you do in order to to keep them that way? So women... Talk about um, changes of odor that happen during this time. Is that related to those changes in the tissues? And also, maybe related, unrelated, where do you come down on the whole probiotics for, you know, vaginal health? Yeah. Um, There is really not enough literature to recommend a probiotic. Now, there, honestly, there are lots of times... I use supplements in my practice when we just can't seem to figure out the next thing. Is it going to hurt you? It's not. 
Um, and so the, the goal is to increase lactobacillus, which is the, um, the probiotic or not the probiotic, but the bacteria that's in the vagina that keeps it healthy. And so if you're taking oral probiotics, are you improving that? And there really is not enough literature to say that we should do that across the board, but you do see people do it. Um, and you do see people have some relief, but you know, again, it's, yeah. it's not, we really, I recommend focusing on all these other pieces. If women are concerned with that odor change, do you hear that in your practice? Like what is, what do Absolutely. you tell them? I'll tell you the number one, first of all, let's make sure there's not an infection, right? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Cause you are more prone because to that, that too. Exactly. Let's talk about preventing that. Yeah. Yep. And as far as preventing infection, again, you know, that's that process of thinning the thinning of the vaginal wall, the bacteria are out of balance and then you get an infection. And so mm -hmm. if you make that tissue more healthy, you're going to have less infections. So um, especially bacterial vaginosis. And then we also group B strep. Like those are the two bacteria that are, are group B strep is in, in all, isn't present for all women, but it is present. And it, you really honestly can't get it to go away. Unfortunately. And, and the truth is, like I said, there's this balance of bacteria and that's what's healthy. So if you're helping the tissue be healthy, then you're going to have less infections. Now, I often see an odor, people come in, they complain of an odor, but it's actually due to that inflammatory discharge. Mm. And that's the cause of the odor. Um, one of the things that can help with the odor, first of all, you know, throw a reverie suppository up there. It gets better for a few days, right? And then, you know, maybe you just need another one again or the Beswecken. Um and also boric acid suppositories. Um, again, that's that acid word. I don't know why you throw it. <laughs> and you can even get them. I saw them at Target the other day. You can get them online. They used to need to be compounded in, in the olden days. But um, that is another way to just gently clean the vagina that we oftentimes use in patients who have recurrent bacterial vaginosis infections. Mm. So I'm fine with you know patients doing that if, if they come in and they have a leucorrhea or just an increase in vaginal discharge and and we just can't seem to nail the cause, um, then sometimes it's really, you know, just placing something in the vagina that's going to gently cleanse and then that scent goes away. And I guess that's that would be the the last question that I have with this is like, what is my, you know, like if we were to say the the care of our menopausal vagina, I mean, we've talked a lot about the skin, like getting you know, some kind of estrogen, making sure those tissues are healthy and moisturized. Uh, I mean, you can just clean it like you clean the rest of you. I mean, is there any, do we have to worry about the soap or the scrubbing or, you know, like our, that part of our hygiene? Yeah, honestly, you don't need to go up inside the vagina and clean it out, even with the estrogen in place. Um, now, that isn't to say if you sort of feel like you're fighting you know, if you are one of those people who chooses the E-string, E-string, S-string, um, the, you know, you can take it out and wash it and, and replace it, you know, the E-string the e itself, but um, you don't need to go up in there and clean things out um, on a regular basis. And so, you know, if you're um, using the moisturizers and all that stuff, you just are getting the benefit over the t over time and the balance happens 
over time. So, and you actually do by washing things out, then those bacteria have to start over to recreate that balance. And so it's, it's not, it's not necessary, you know? Excellent. Yeah. And if you feel like you need to, because sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we need to, like after sex or something like that, just getting up inside with a little bit of water and, and rinsing. I mean, we do the, do that from time to time, no perfumes, mm. absolutely unscented. So if you're going to use um, unscented Dove is a great moisturizing soap. Um, and any of those soaps that have um, extra herbs, you know, they're more natural or something actually are not a good plan. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. <laughs> I feel so educated. Right now. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that we haven't covered? And I feel like this has been amazing. Is there anything that we we have not covered that you wanted to make sure that we did talk about during this happy, healthy vagina conversation. Exactly. Well, there is actually, there's one okay. last thing. And that is the, um, I oftentimes will see women come in who have, because they haven't addressed their bike seat and their chamois, they have a fat pad that forms on their um, sort of, on their pubic bone or behind or next to their ischial tuberosity or in front of the ischial tuberosity because there's pressure in the wrong place. And they come in and I see they have done everything they can do to try to figure out what it is and maybe even get rid of it. And that is, it's painful and, um, you know, and frightening, honestly, just like those sebaceous cysts can be, you know, you know there's something there that, that usually isn't there. But I would definitely, I would see your doctor, make sure that it's just a benign growth, but don't, don't mess with it. You know, it's, it's not, it, it will go away as soon as you address your bike fit. And again, you know, how, where are you sitting? What kind of pants are you wearing? Um, get that pressure off of that area and it will go away. And that is something that may, it's, it might be the kind of thing where, you can't get rid of it over mountain biking season. You know, I, I live in the mountains, so I'm off my bike for the winter. And um, so I get a chance for things to calm down a little bit, but um, just don't, don't hurt yourself out of fear of there being something. And that's an important thing that I just want people to know. I mean, we're, hopefully your doctor is someone that you can go to and talk through all these things and, ask for help. I have had, you just made me think of it. I, I have actually, you know, I interviewed Dr. Andy Pruitt, who is a sort of longtime expert in sort of the saddle space, you know, and he talked about how getting fully waxed may not be the best idea for your vaginal health and comfort. Can you address that a little bit before we go here? Yeah, so I absolutely agree with that, that um, you have this, when you get waxed, you know, the hair grows back, it puts you at risk for ingrown hairs. And pubic hair is there for a reason, you know, it, it keeps things, keeps the bacteria protected where they should be so that that balance is supported. So um, that doesn't mean, you know, if there's some minimal aesthetic waxing that you want to do, that's one thing. But definitely your pubic hair 
I think is an important part of just normal health of that area. He called it, you'll appreciate this, MIPS <laughs> for the vagina. You know yes. that little like <laughs> shell inside the helmet that sort of allows yeah. the helmet to rotate a little bit on top of your head right. without like yeah. pulling on your head? He's like, it's like MIPS for your vagina. So you're you're not just creating that friction right on your skin. Like there's a little bit of buffer there. I just thought that was like the best like analogy. I'm like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Good. Well, I really, really appreciate um, you taking the time. I'm glad that we got connected. And this is, again, this is a conversation I feel like was really long overdue because I know, you know, it's a thing, you know, and if your vagina's not happy, you know, you're not going right. to be happy. You're not happy. <laughs> it's a daily moment to moment problem. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our show. Come on back for a really special episode with longtime menopause researcher and past president of the North American Menopause Society, which is now just the Menopause Society, Dr. Rebecca Thurston. Dr. Thurston has done incredible groundbreaking research on the correlation between hot flashes and cardiovascular and brain health. You won't want to miss that one. So come on back next week. And until then, as always, Stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Feisty.